0: All Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So um, so today we're going to be learning quite a bit, you know, with the guests that we have. I think that they uh, definitely, you know, like uh, an entrepreneur that is uh, originally born in Europe. Uh, but obviously he, he was exposed to the U.S. as well. So we can potentially get some good comparisons, you know, especially when it comes down to the venture ecosystems. But I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, James. Lay, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Alexander.
0: So, originally born and raised in Manchester. So tell us about your upbringing. How was life growing up there?
1: Uh I I would yeah, I say that it was um a a, a fairly, I guess like a, a quite a normal uh, upbringing. Um my my father ran a uh, like a comic actually i had had he was a bit of an entrepreneur himself um he had you know his own uh, chemical company um and then he also um then ran a comic book uh business in manchester so that made for an interesting childhood uh and then um yeah um yeah my, my parents were divorced and so i i spent most of my time with my mom um and and uh growing up in a place called Warrington which is near manchester and then seeing my dad at the weekends
0: So how did you get into all this, you know, engineering thing and computers and software and stuff like that?
1: Sure, so I'd say I was always a bit of a geek um, and, um, you know, enjoyed uh, computers and, of course, video gaming as I was growing up. Um, I'm a big, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Warhammer. I'm a big, uh, like, Warhammer miniature fan. Um, So I was into um, that, that, you know, that type of... um, uh, universe going growing up um and then when i went to um i just you know had a proficiency for maths and for um computing um when i was at school and college and and then um was very kind of fortunate. Pre um, university to get accepted onto a program from the UK's Ministry of Defence. Um, so there, I, I spent a year out before university, and trained as a procurement officer for um, the the Army, Navy, and Air Force, uh, which was a really great year—a uh, year out where I like uh, you know learned about project management. But also went and spent time in the armed forces, um, and then um, and then I did placements when I was at university. Um, and went to eventually went to imperial college to study information systems engineering and then every summer i'd work um you know for some some part of the government like nato or um you know uh, british army um doing 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 various different projects which was was very interesting um and and then post university i um, eventually decided to take at the time, it was very popular to go into investment banking, and then I took a job um, as a software engineer um, in, in, um, for, for UBS Investment Bank in London.
0: So, I mean, it took, you, it took you a little bit of time because, obviously, it seems that growing up, you know, seeing it in the family, you know, the entrepreneurial, you know, mindset and, and drive, you know, it took you a bit of time. I mean, we're talking about, you know, close to, you know, 15 years almost, you know, to really go at it on your own and, and make it happen. So, what do you think took so long?
1: It's good point. I guess I guess I was a little bit of the product of the times, right? In terms of um, the the in in the UK in the like two thousand and one around that time, right? That there wasn't such a big venture scene w- would be you know, and my peers like almost everybody were like I was. I, there was like an incredible figure of about like seventy percent, I think maybe plus of um Imperial College students were going to investment banking at the time. So I took the very safe standard route. Um, at the time, and, and, and I think now that things have changed, and there's a lot more kind of entrepreneurship, and it's a lot a lot more, um, you know, th- 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 there's a lot more kind of comfort with taking that path than there, than there was, or even you know, knowing about that path and having options for that path. You know, like at the time, things like you know, Y why Combinator um, in the UK, in the UK, we have something called S- Seed Camp. Um, none of these things kind of existed to kind of, I suppose pique your interest or, or open up your mind that that was possible, that you could do that. Um, so there's a lot more of those programs now. Um, so, the, so there was that. And then eventually, you know, I, I'd, I'd taken a career route, um, which I thought was kind of my dream kind of career, of becoming an algo trader, um, and then found that that wasn't really a fit for my personality. Um, and and then I had a friend who had started, um, you know, a fintech um the time was on its way to becoming a unicorn um and and you know I, when I went and visited their offices, I felt like the energy just the difference in energy between that work environment and the environment I was in and that really then caught my interest and inspired me to start my own business because it, you know you could just feel the difference you could feel the difference in in terms of the you know the, the happiness of employees, the mood, just the energy level um and and you know that that kind of inspired me to start my own company. So then, let's talk about
0: Cognizant. So your your own company, your own baby. So uh, why? How how do you end up in in, in Zurich? You know, let, let's talk about that.
1: Well, I, I'm in Zurich because of my originally because of my job, UBS investment bank, moved me out here originally. Um, my my um my wife um has has her career here, and so we I was already based here um like pre starting Cognizant, and then. You know, when I started Cognizant, um like Switzerland's a great place to live. It's an amazing place to live. It's you know um, very secure here, very safe here. Um, you know, the, the, there's no lack for like you know unemployment's near zero. Um, the but it's not a great place to start a company um, in terms of you know. The, so so I I started Cognizant in London and then start and then actually joined an accelerator program in London. Um, in 2016, um, to actually really find, you know, find out what I actually wanted to build and what what I wanted to work on, um, and that was a great decision. So, so I pretty much live live in between Zurich and London at the moment. Um, currently, with lockdown, um, have been stuck in, um, well, staying in Zurich, but but I also have an apartment in London, um, and so, but London's a better place. to Actually, in UK is a better place. It, I, I think it's one of the best places in the world to actually start a company at the moment. Um, and So, so yeah, the, the, I think living in, 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 um, in Europe, you actually have cho- a choice in the best of both worlds, really. So I think right now I've got a very good balance uh, living between both places. So then how
0: was that process? You know, you were talking about the, the accelerator program. So, I mean, how was that process for you to really land into the actual business model that, that you were going to execute on?
1: It was very helpful. I mean, in 2016, I, I, I was part of two programs. One was fintech sandbox in uh, Boston, which I'd really recommend to anybody. Um, so that that that's a great program, which is really free to join. You get access to lots of different data feeds. Um, really helpful team. They have like a little demo day. Like there's just no there's no real cost um, to joining it, and you can almost do it. Um, at the time when I joined, it was you know I didn't I didn't have to be there full time, which is a perfect fit because I was really, I was in a a job when I originally started. Um, so. The the um, and that really helped me to uh, build the deck, uh, form a business idea. The, originally, Cognizant was a fintech idea. Um, so the idea was to really help um, hedge funds and funds find um, new sources of, um, of of money to attract attract in. So that's where we originally began. Um, so the 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 fintech sandbox program helped me to really refine the idea the pitch the the deck exactly how to do planning when i was really completely clueless uh, and then uh, I, I later from that program and the success on that program we we joined a program called we got accepted onto a place called um it doesn't exist anymore um Winton Labs which was a uh, part of a um a program from um uh, Winton Capital which is one of the biggest um, systematic um hedge funds and so that and that was another great experience again helped us to, to to develop the product and then really helped us to understand that it wasn't a great area to be in, um, selling to hedge funds and that we needed to pivot into a larger um market, uh, which was, you know, sales and marketing really, um, and and being able to to, to, to Provide data for B two B sales, so so you know that that was clear from after the program that was a better space to be a better space to be in, and so that's that's what what we did and pivoted towards that area.
0: So then, what what is the business model? How do you guys make money? So that the people that are listening, you know, like understand it.
1: Sure. So we're a SaaS subscription. Um, You know, we provide an all-in-one prospecting solution, which is both a sales cadencing platform um, and a data asset. So the data is our core business. So we're really a B2B data supplier. We provide like data, you know, we're providing both people contact data, firmographic data and event data. So that's the the innovation was really, um, you know, I'd I'd worked in algorithmic trading and I worked in, um, you know, that kind of technology of actually extracting events from news feeds. And the idea was what if you could have um, you know, data like LinkedIn, where you have all that people and company data, but you can also blend in an event dimension. So instead of just saying, give me all the heads of sales in London, I could say, give me all the heads of sales in London whose companies are hiring SDRs right now, or who are, um, have raised the fundraising round. Um, so that you get data that's more relevant, and then you can target them with, um, more relevant messaging which means you're more likely to engage them in um a conversation that will hopefully result in new business so so the idea was to really um bring that all together into one solution um so so we we sell that um right now we're kind of aimed at the smb mid market moving towards enterprise over time um and and you know the idea is really to provide an all in one solution so that people can just have a turnkey way of um, prospecting so and we yeah we sell that as a SaaS package and packages you know start at about you know uh 750 dollars per month and go up to you know um you know tr- triple digits so so uh, yeah like um, yeah like in, in, in the um yeah uh, and obviously the, 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 the business you guys started in
0: 2015 uh <laughs> and literally like a couple of years later you know like you would see the general data protection Regulation. The GDPR.
1: GDPR, yeah, that kind of started when when there, I mean it was it was on the horizon when we started the business in 2016, um, and it was already having an impact. So we built a business around collecting data compliantly, um, which actually helped us. You know, it, it really helped us with our model. It gave us a, a unique, unique positioning in the market at the time. Um, so and and yeah, it, it created higher costs for us for sure. Right, we spend quite a large amount of money on lawyers to get our, all our um, documentation in order. We have uh, you know, co- compliance and opt-out processes. So there's there's a cost to that compliance, but it also then helps with, you know, barriers to entry into the market. So that's a good thing. Um, and it was something that that rather than retreat from, we, we went in on head-on head on to kind of tackle that and make it part of the solution. That definitely helped our positioning. So, so I'd, I'd say that regulation is, can, is definitely, you know, like a... a a burden, but you can kind of like take, turn that around on its head and use that as a competitive advantage if you actually tackle it head on in a, in a in a solid way, which is what we did.
0: Got it. And how much capital have you guys raised to date?
1: I think in total it's around about twenty million dollars that we've we've raised. Um, yeah, around about that figure. And how many employees do you have? Uh, now we're over one hundred and fifty employees, so we we have um, you know a large um, our sales and marketing team and data science are based in London. And then we have a large number of employees in Macedonia, where we do all our data operations uh, and, and some engineers. And then um, the majority of our engineers are in Zadar in Croatia. Um, so we've got our own permanent offices there. They're not contract staff, they're, they're our own employees. Um, and we found that building out um, in the Balkans has been cred- incredibly cost effective and we get incredible talent there and we're not really in competition for that talent so so that you know that's that's worked out very well for us i mean it's amazing the amount
0: of money that you guys have raised and the amount of employees that you have i mean most of the people that yeah. raise that amount in in the u.s you know like have half, half half the amount of employees or even less of what you
1: have so i i would assume that business is is going well Our Business is going very well i mean even even over <laughs> i mean. We, we've grown revenue. You know, um, you know, th- at the beginning of 2019, right? We were around about 2.5 million in in, in AAR, and now we're about 8.5 million AAR. And we, we've, of course, been impacted a little bit by the COVID crisis, but but now new business revenue is back to normal, um, and and now we're we're um, you know above where we were pre the crisis um and and we've we've had all those effects kind of washed out now um you know we've had had a lot of clients of course that were unfortunately impacted like companies that are in it, the event events physical event space and recruiters um but but overall what we did is we we, we didn't fill out any of our staff and we didn't we didn't we, you know, we kept our sales team on um and we, we you know because we are a company and because we we built a, around um both you know we we, we get about 50 percent of our uh, new business from marketing inbound, and we get 50% from outbound currently. Uh, but we have this really great outbound engine, um, and and we you know we changed our ICP, and that's worked out incredibly well in terms of um, now uh, generating solid pipeline. And I guess having all these different offices, you know, and 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 I guess
0: you know like being at this time in in your life cycle, which you are like past the the Series B financing cycle. I mean, how, how does the culture work when you have, like, all these different offices?
1: I think everything's changing now because of COVID, right? Uh, like, the, 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 you know, there's definitely a shift. You know, before we had, um, you know, I say the centerpiece of our cultural work life was really, you know, our offices, uh, particularly in London, where, you know, we, we hire graduate. We have a very fixed model of hiring graduates in, in sales and then as, as SDRs or. BDRs and then and then having them um, become AEs or, or BDMs um, and then only hiring really from um, our internally Um so that's helped us build a very cost-effective model um, and and it's worked very well in terms of you know doing volume sales into the SMB and mid market um, so I say that you know and and in the UK. You know, there's lots of graduates, so so you know, you, there's lots of talent you can hire uh, continuously. Whereas in the US, there's more of a war for talent. You know, um, you know, it's a more. Um, it, I suppose like it's it, it's a, a from it was pre-crisis, right, a more competitive um, market. So even for graduates, so the you know the the in terms of culture, you know, we had a very uh, like a Pacific culture really built around celebrating success. Um, and, you know, we did a company offsite where we take all the employees globally to Havar and Croatia and, and have like a, a weekend um, of like, you know, celebrating where we were. And you know, that that was a really strong part of, um, I suppose, our culture pre-crisis. And hopefully we can go back to that a bit post-crisis. But what we're finding is that attitudes have really changed now. Like, you know, we just recently did a staff survey and we found that two thirds of people don't want to go back to the office as it was pre um pre, pre-crisis and um, so a third of staff want to really um have a preference to stay at work at home and a third of staff want to um do a mix and then a third of staff wants to be in the office so probably like going forward we're working we, you know we will build a culture that's more flexible um where people work from home we also found that that employees we were as productive if not even a bit more productive um now work from home than we were in in office so that's another kind of um big uh, shock um to to my belief system um you know um bef- that they had b- before the crisis so so I think this is all very interesting and in how how we built culture and how we manage culture before the crisis is going to be very different post crisis and we you know we want to kind of keep that kind of fun element um in terms of um you know making it social as a company but but you know it'll probably be a lot more um you know, a lot more organised and a lot more set events, and, and we'll probably uh, right now. I kind of thought so that we'll end up with a smaller office um, and and more of rotating teams in, into that office um, than 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 we did um, pre pre crisis, which will help with you know cost reductions massively in terms of office space, but also um, you know I think will give employees a lot more choice about how they work and where they work. So as we're thinking about the new normal here and where things are heading yeah.
0: where do you think that your market is is heading as a whole
1: I think you know if you uh, our, our biggest um I suppose competitor in 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 the market is Zoominfo um which is an incredible company um run run by a great ceo um and they they've they've um just IPO'd and they've you know they, they they if you look at their ipo documentation been a successful ipo um they um you know, saying, I think that, you know, they, they have a very small part of the market share. And Outreach, which is also, you know, a sales engagement platform in our space, it just I think they, they just fundraised this week has claimed that they only have 2% of the market. And The the market is um, huge. The, the TAM of our market is is huge. And that's, you know, even in the U.S., you know, the market is, is you know, um, I wouldn't say it's mature even yet, um, and then globally, you know, especially we see in Europe, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, i, I argue it's a blue ocean. Um, companies getting more sophisticated with their sales um, and their sales tools and sales processes. Um, so that's a trend. You know, CRO adoption is a trend that's just continuing. Um, you know that that market's growing. Um, you know, a very meaningful, very meaningfully every year. So you know. In general, I, I just see huge opportunity in terms of growth in our market, just the market size growing. And then in terms of actually um data providers um and um quality data providers, there's very few companies now. I mean Zo so the Discover.org Zoom Info acquired a lot of um the larger players um and consolidated the market in the US. Um so so that's left a lot of space in that market. Uh, and then really globally the market isn't touched. So, you know, I, I think there's incredible opportunity. Um uh going forward and and you know both in terms of just the market that's not served that's existing right now and then also just growth of that market so then
0: let's let's talk about you know you having an amazing snooze tonight when you go to sleep and you wake up in a world five years later where the vision of cognizant is fully realized what does that world look like james
1: i mean right now i've always just been focused on building a great company so so you know um overall you know we have a vision of you know helping our clients um, generate new 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 revenue new business revenue um, and and you know providing sets of solutions for them to do that very effectively I mean that's that's what we're focused in and building a great company right now you know the 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 biggest challenge is I've always found is not like the the product it's actually building an, a great you know a great revenue engine ourselves and a great company culture and and um you know, healthy company. And that's the, you know, if I look at companies that are similar stages to us, that kind of then faded away, you know, it's always been, it's not about the product or the market. It's literally about the internal structure of the company and, and mistakes they've made. And, you know, um, so, so my aim is really just not to make mistakes. So, so, you know, I'm I'm focused on making sure that I've got great mentors, that we've got a great board, that I'm getting great advice about how to scale the company, so that we don't make mistakes. Um, of course, we make we make mistakes along the way, um, and then I we hope to correct those. But overall, like the the vision is just to build a great company, um, and then and then you know I'm hoping that in five years' time that Cognizant is a, um, you know, that we're a, a market leader. Um, and, the, the you know, we're, we're the best, um, especially go-to-market um, solution provider in, in, the, in the globe. I mean, that's that's where I see us going.
0: And one of the typical questions that I ask the guests that come on the show is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, I mean, mm. obviously, it's been a remarkable journey, the one that you've embarked with uh, Cognizant, and a lot of lessons learned, no? a lot of ups, a lot of downs. You know, it's just the, the journey. It's not a straight line. But if you could go back in time and speak to that younger James, maybe that that Mm. younger James that was thinking about launching a business, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self and why, knowing what you know now?
1: I think actually it would be about employee management. Uh, It it would be about culture in general. Um, I I think um, the biggest number of lessons learned is really about managing a younger workforce um, and how to create, the right type of culture uh, around that. Um, I think we've been incredibly successful with that, um, but but in in some cases we could have done a better job um, with with how we managed um, certain individuals. I mean, I think that's the biggest um, the biggest thing. I, I find that the you know, most problems are kind of fixable, but with like managing talent, you know, once you've made um, decisions. Um, or people have had a particular journey with the company, you know, you can't really wind that back. Like, you know, if you put a piece of technology in, uh, you can you can fix it, right? But when people, like, um, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, it goes on a particular path um, and then, you know, you can't wind back time. Um, it's one resource you don't you don't get to do. Um, so so really like how we manage talent and how we manage uh, and how we hire talent. Like we're getting that more and more right and we're getting better and better at that. Um, but you know the the it's definitely um, uh, you know I suppose like who we hired, um, how we hired, how we managed people. Um, you know we're building great processes around that. You know now, but you know of course I wish we'd been better at that and we could have grown even faster and done better things um you know from the very from the very beginning so i I would go back and and just you know put stronger processes in place about hiring and talent management um straight from the beginning um than than, them which we know we're getting in place now but but you know um i I was completely clueless about that when, when i started the company and hadn't had um much experience about you know especially managing younger employees i'd only ever manage software engineers which is very different from managing say sales staff or custom success staff um uh, so so that's been i think the biggest lesson for me and any any tips for the people that are listening on how to manage
0: perhaps millennials that you know it seems that they shift from job to job quite quite quickly and maybe there's like a it could be a, maybe a different mindset, no, than maybe like the the folks, the baby boomers, and and other generations.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very different. I mean, I, I think I was talking about looking at this in particular this morning. Um, I mean, the, 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 I guess like there seems to be like a, a couple of big differences. One is just the the need for feedback, right? I mean, it, when I graduated, you know, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't I, discussing with my peers and things like that. I don't, I don't. Um, you know we were on a kind of a career path um you, you had a set expectation really about that career path and you weren't too critical of your employer too much right and and you know um i just just don't remember um being like you know so critical of what you're given right but the, the 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 these days i think um there's a lot more information right there's a lot more information resources and a lot more feedback resources um and so the, i think that that you know there's a lot more expectations um, about career career path um, for, from um, the younger generation um, for the, the, the especially graduates now um, and um, you know there's there's a lot more kind of confusing information as well uh, you know if you look at kind of salary bans and things like that and expectations I think so um the, the, there's a, there's that need for feeding like providing positive feedback um, a lot more than I think um, I had in my day um, and um, you know I, I think laying out very clear career paths and expectations I mean that needs to be done um, a lot more um, yeah a lot, a lot a lot more intensely than than uh, I would say that I needed when I was a graduate.
0: Amazing. well, great tips here, great tips and great insights uh, James. I would like to thank you for being on the Deal Maker Show, really. thank you so much. you've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremates.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.